137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to... Well, does this one count as an episode, Presto? Yeah, I mean, we're actually covering a topic, so... Okay, that's fair. Episode 251 of Pixelated Paranormal. And with me, as always, is Presto. How are you, buddy? Uh, you know, like Humpty Dumpty, I'm slowly coming back together again. There you go, yeah. yeah. Learning how to use a mouse with your left hand. Yeah, I started, uh, you know, trying to do, uh, like, uh, clay exercises, um, mm-hmm. So uh, I found that uh, I, I can sculpt with my left hand. Um, you know, the, um, mm-hmm, they're not mm-hmm. the, they're not the best attempt, but I mean, it's better than what most could do with their dominant hand. So I feel like mm-hmm. I, I still got a leg in the game. Well, this episode is kind of special because you will find it will be the. Well, 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 what's up all you cool ghosts and goblins, as Presto would say, and greetings from the future, or maybe the past, I'm not really sure what exactly to call this, but welcome to episode 251, Redux. If you're fairly new to our show, you might be a little befuddled at what exactly is going on, but that's okay, because I can catch you guys up. This podcast feed is relatively new. In fact, it's actually less than two months old. With about six years worth of podcast episodes crammed into it so far. But how exactly is that possible, you might ask? Well, see, we had to move the old podcast feed over to a new one. Because our old network was changing and we sadly couldn't export everything over in one piece. So here we are. Now this is episode 251, almost in its entirety, excluding about seven minutes or so where Preston and I announced that we were going to have it serve as the final episode of the old podcast feed for our listeners, that's you, so that you can keep your eyes peeled for the all-new pixelated paranormal podcast feed. Also, side note, how many times can I say the word feed in the next seven minutes. Anyway, I cut out all the nonsensical stuff because it's irrelevant now about how it was the last episode on the feed and how you should switch over and how you need to sub to the new feed and blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't matter now because Mark, with our blessing, has officially killed the old podcast feed to eliminate any more confusion about why our show is listed twice on all the major podcasting apps. So, as time goes on, the old podcast feed should probably be dying off, and this should be the only one. So anyway, how are y'all doing? We're all doing pretty good. I'm flying solo by myself for this little introduction, but that's okay, don't worry. We have some new stuff coming up in just a day or two. It's been a minute, or maybe about two months, since we recorded the original 251st episode. And I gotta ask, did you find all five of our Hidden Treasure episodes? Yeah, that's right. 
While I uploaded all 250 episodes of the show to the new feed, we also recorded five new episodes and posted them among the old feed for y'all to find. So, you know, we could continue to make new content without messing up the continuity of the old episode numbers. So anyway, we've got an all-new episode dropping this week as our 2022 Holiday Halloween Special. Just a few days late, but that's okay, because, you know, this should be the last time we have to upload anything late to the feed. We'll have some awesome listener stories featuring Bigfoot, ghosts, UFOs, and even some witches. In fact, we'll have some international stories to boot. And hey, let me ask y'all real quick. Have you checked out our new website? For the last six years, we've simply been linked to a page on Mark's pixelated sausage website. But now, we've got our own new website. You should check it out. www.pixelatedparanormal.com Here we're going to have the new episodes posting there where you can listen straight from the site. We've also got a blog. Though we're not really sure if anybody even does that anymore, but I guess we do. On the blog, periodically, we'll update little updates here and there with what's going on, maybe some new projects or some exciting new stuff coming up in the near future. And on there, you're also going to find links to the Instagram, to the Facebook, and also to the YouTube. And it's including some pretty cool biographies for us, your hosts. So go ahead, check it out on your PC, your Mac, or your cell phone. Lots of fun stuff on that website. And we should hopefully have a merch store on there in the not-too-distant future. Although, for the last six years, we've been promising merch, and it just seems to not work out in our favor. But we'll try to remedy that very, very soon. Anyway, I am about done playing this game called Can I Ramble On for about 8 minutes so I don't have to edit the rest of the show back at the back end. But I gotta say, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up. We're going to have crossover episodes with other podcasts. We've got lots of interviews planned, on-location exploration planned, maybe some ghost hunts, maybe some cemetery investigations. Who knows? Well, we do, but you'll just have to find out. Anyway, thank you for joining me on this little rant. We hope you enjoy 251 in its near entirety. Embrace yourselves because we will have lots and lots of really good stuff coming up for you guys in the near future, as in just a day or two away, the Halloween 2022 special. Well, what else can I talk about here for the next, oh, minute or so? Well, for one thing, once I press this bad boy into an MP3, I'm going to finally crack open a Halloween trick-or-treat-themed beer and watch Barbarian. Have you guys caught that yet? I heard it's pretty, pretty good. Also, we have the new Halloween Inns. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I suppose I sit in the minority, as it seems a lot of people were upset about that. Also, as Presto and I have discussed on one of the Hidden Treasure episodes... We also have the new Hellraiser reimagining film, which was fantastic. If you're a big fan of visual practical effects, you have got to check that out. Take a look at the new Cenobites. They were done very, very well. And there's also a smattering of other really great horror that's kind of out there right now. 
Were you lucky enough to catch the Dawn of the Dead 3D limited release that Regal Theaters did? Oh, buddy, was that just simply fantastic. Anyway, here we go. I think that about does it. I've officially filled up a seven-minute gap full of great information and some minor ramblings. So, if you guys would please be patient for about another day and a half, we'll start having the all-new Pixelated Paranormal episodes dropping into your news feeds. But until then, cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. Well, for tonight's episode, it is brought to you in part by Presto's future wife, Jeffrey. And we're talking near future, buddy, because yeah. uh, it's almost that time. 31 days. Boom shakalaka. Yeah. And also by my wife, Shayla, because Shayla and Jeffrey both brought this story to our attention. Uh, different different titles, same article. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I Good stuff. I was but... digging in my repertoire of uh, you know news articles because you text me like, "Oh shit, we forgot to record." I'm like, "Well, don't worry, buddy. I got a whole bunch of news articles saved in uh, my Facebook." And then I went to go click on them, like thinking I had all these like vampire, you know. <laughs> and then I got to look at him like, dude, it's the same fucking story just with God damn. But then I remember like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I had sent old Shawnee Boy a video on YouTube mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that he never watched. Ooh, no, no, I'm no. like, this would be great show material. And so I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> uh, you know, Humpty Dumpty's not doing anything. I'm just, you know, sitting here just taking pain meds and drinking Mountain Dew like, you know, it's 1999. <laughs> and uh, I'll put, you know, put together this uh, little show real quick. And that's what I did. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah, because Steven's idea was to just do kind of a capstone announcement. But, um, you know, that's that's fine. And that's a great idea. But also... I mean, we don't do things traditionally here anyway, so why not throw a little bit of an episode at the end of our big announcement? Yeah. Yeah. Well, buddy, take it away, man, because you did all the heavy lifting um, while you were medicated, so God knows where this is going to take us, but I've got faith in you. Yeah, if you look at the title of the docs, it's supposed to say the uh, Dwarf of Dairy, but it says Dwarf Mm -hmm. Fairy, and I'm just like, fuck it. You know, it's, it's close enough. So, I uh, should we should we title it episode two fifty one, Dwarfif Fairy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Preston took too many pain meds. Anyways, hey, <laughs> yeah. So from the two different titled news articles, a female vampire found in a seventeenth century grave with a sickle across her throat. That's right. Polish archaeologists have uncovered the remains of a woman thought to be a vampire the grave for the female vampire dates back to the 17th century which fears about people returning from the dead were still prevalent that's you know superstitious was high everybody Mm -hmm. had garlic and you know they carried bags of urine around their neck more on that later i mean some people still do that yeah some people still do that So, to keep this from happening, the sharp blade of a sickle was placed across the woman's neck. It would cut her head off if she rose from the grave. Researchers also found a padlock on one of her big toes. (laughs) Right, which that really threw me off. And so I did a little researching, and yeah, archaeologists claim the lock would have been used during the burial process to symbolize the impossibility of returning by literally locking her to her body. Mm. 
So, not one of this is not one of those Buffy the Vampire slaying tricks, but other graves unearthed in Eastern Europe have similar anti-vampire burial methods. The find, which was seen on Science Alert, was uncovered near what is now the city of Pien in Poland. Professor Druz Poloniski from the Nicholas Copernicus University. Dude, is that really like, is that a real place? That sounds made up. <laughs> I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a real college. This might be fake news. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I just, you know, like. Okay. I mean, Copernicus wasn't, I mean, he, he was a cool scientist, but fuck, why would you need, that just doesn't sound legit, you know, it's like uh, here in the States, like, hey, where'd you go to business school, Brown Mackey College, like, where, where'd you go to anthropology school, Nicholas Copernicus? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nicholas Copernicus was a pretty smart dude, man, I mean, Again, it sounds a lot better than Brown Mackey, I think. Yeah. I mean, he was no Leonardo da Vinci, but, I mean, anyways, I digress. <laughs> I mean, pretty close. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, Polish archaeologists have uh, seen uh, this burial practice before, as well as other anti-vampire practices like removing the head or spiking it into the ground. Ooh. And even after their deaths, their bodies were still further mutilated to make sure they wouldn't return to wreak havoc on local villagers after they died. Other ways to protect against the return of the dead include not only cutting off the head, but also the arms and legs, but then placing the deceased face down so that, that if they got hungry, they would then bite the ground. Mm -hmm. oh. And also, of course, you know, burning them and smashing their skulls with stones. The team says a silk cap found on the woman's skull suggests that she was of high status, but this leaves the uh, this leaves plenty of unanswered questions. Did people think she was a vampire because her front tooth was out of place? As someone who needed braces to, uh, you know, because she had big canines. Um, how does she die? Did anyone consider that she could rise from the dead slowly enough not to have her head cut off by the sickle? Uh we may now think of vampires only as fodder for teenage paranormal romances or just really great Hollywood movies. I mean, Christopher Lee played Dracula how many times? And he was a badass. Oh, dude, too many to count. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's he's the man, the myth, the legend, and that's why he, you know, wrote five heavy metal albums before he died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was quite the badass. Anyways, the point of this is remember that uh, while all this was going on, um, people, even up until the early 1900s, still had vampire hunting kits and not as a novelty item. So I put a picture in this. I don't know if you've got it yet. This woman to me, and I mean, again, we're seeing her mummified head. She just had one kind of like protruding tooth out the front. Like, I don't want to be crude or rude, but I mean, it's what you'd call a snaggle tooth. Just a tooth that kind of pointed off, you know, in the opposite direction. But it doesn't look like she's a freaking vampire to me. Mm. Yeah. Well, an archaeologist in Bulgaria back in 2014 also said that he had unearthed a vampire grave containing a skeleton with a metal stake in its chest. Still... Nikolai Avkrov. <laughs> Man, one thing we promise folks between now and the new feed, 
we will not get any better at pronouncing foreign names, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, we, Sean and I promised each other that we would at least attempt when we say, hey, man, will you watch this video for the show that we would, you know, give it a <laughs> give it a go. I, I can't promise that I'm going to learn how to pronounce. I, I just, it's not, it's not in my, it's, you know, it's not my repertoire to do it. I, I can't. So it, it is what it is. That's what people have come to love about us is the fact that we miss pronunciate everything horribly wrong and you know that's how we're just gonna roll with it yeah and also you're talking about two guys who sometimes do their best work the night before the homework was due so you know what do you want from us doing our homework more often or pronouncing names correctly i'm gonna go with the homework it's gonna be a big enough ask Nikolai Avkarov, who's been called the Bulgarian Indiana Jones, said the spooky grave was found during excavations at the ruins of the ancient Thracian city of Perpercon. God, we suck so hard. <laughs> Perpercon in southern Bulgaria. We have no doubts that once again we are seeing anti-vampire ritual being carried out, he said to the telegraph, referring to the impaled skeleton. Stakes were driven through the corpse of bad people to prevent them from rising from their graves and haunting the living. Often they were applied to such people who died in unusual circumstances, including suicide. This vampire grave is one of two unusual burials recently discovered by Avkarov in Perperikon, according to the Bulgarian newspaper 24 Hours. The other reportedly contained a mother and a child whose bodies were positioned in such a way they resembled an image of the Virgin Mary and child. Avrakov said this sort of ritual was done as a way to ward off the plague. And I find that really sad, man. Yeah. So you're just going to arrange the corpse of a mother and her um, deceased baby just to kind of ward off the plague. That's so wild. Yeah. Both graves are estimated to date back to the first half of the 13th century. This isn't the first vampire grave to be found in Bulgaria, though, because two years previously, in 2012, archaeologists discovered two 700-year-old skeletons pinned down with iron, aw <laughs> iron odds, sweet Christmas, <laughs> with iron rods through their chests near the town of Sozopol Bazra. You gave me all these fucking hard names. <laughs> Sozopol Bazhadar Dmitriov, head of Bulgaria's national... Oh, Jesus, that's not even a whole town. Yeah. Fuck, this is... <laughs> All right, take two. Both graves are estimated to date back to the first half of the 13th century. This isn't the first vampire grave to be found in Bulgaria. In fact, two years previously, in 2012, archaeologists discovered two 700-year-old skeletons pinned down with iron rods through their chests near the town of Sosopol. Preston made a space for me. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Baz Hadar Dmitriov, the head of Bulgaria's National History Museum, told the Sofia News Agency, at the time, these people were believed to be evil while they were alive. And thus it was believed that they would become vampires once they were dead, continuing to torment people long after. According to a 2012 BBC report, at least 100 vampire graves have been found in Bulgaria to date, and several... Similar burial sites have been found in other Balkan nations. Vampire legends, the news outlet said, form an important part of that region's folklore. 
which I mean, I can't argue with. That's a really good point. That is part of their folklore and their rich history. I dig that. Mm -hmm. Good job, BBC. Yeah. And Dracula himself has been adapted a large number of times across virtually all forms of media. John Edgar Browning and Caroline Joanne S. Picard write that the novel and its characters have been adapted for film, television, video games, and animation over 700 different times, with nearly a thousand or more additional appearances in comic books and on stage. So, we can pinpoint where vampires were introduced into the mainstream, and who really was behind the man, myth, and legend of Count Dracula. Well, let's give it a shot here and shed some light on old Dracula. And it should be known that our good friend John will, without a doubt, be fact-checking all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, it all began with an Irish historian by the name of Patrick Weston Joyce. Joyce was born in Bali, Oregon, in the mighty Ballyhower Mountains, which straddled the borders of Limerick and Cork. One of the many books penned by Joyce was published in 1869 and was titled The Origin and History of Irish Names and Places. And it was inside of the pages of this book that the world was first introduced to Albatrock, or Albatross as I'd like to call him, the evil <laughs> dwarf from Derry. In the book, Joyce tells of a parish in Derry called Slaverty that should really be called Laverty because it is in this parish that there stands a monument of the Albatrock. In this book, Joyce states that Albatrock is another word for dwarf. There is a place in this parish of Ingrel and Derry called Slaverty, but it ought to be have been called Laverty the Laugh, Lof, however you want to pronounce it, or Yeah, I'd say I'd say Loft. Or spectral, spectral, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, the loft is... sepulchral. Yeah, there you go. There's a monument <laughs> of the albatrock or dwarf. He explains the dwarf was a cruel creature and that it possessed a powerful type of magic. Those who were terrorized by albatross soon had their prayers answered. A local chieftain... Some believe this was the legendary Finn Mac Cumhale, killed Albatross mm. and buried him up, upwards nearby. But you can't bury an evil bastard upwards. Just like in our previous news story, you got him, place him, you know, downward doggy style. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the locals thought their luck had changed. Albatross was like, fuck you, because the very next day the dwarf was back and he was twice as evil and twice the dwarf that he had been. The chieftain returned and killed him a second time and proceeded to bury him the same as before. You big dummy. Because it didn't work. The dwarf escaped <laughs> his grave and spread his terror across the whole of Ireland because he was really pissed off at this point. Yeah, you could say at least a little pissed off. A little. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, come hell was baffled. He's like, fuck, how, how do I get rid of this guy? What do I need to do? Uh, you know, he had slain the albatross twice now and managed to return to Ireland again and again. And, uh, man, he just couldn't risk it anymore, you know? And so he consulted a local druid. And the druid advised that he slay albatross again, but this time, when it came to burying him, he said, bury the fucker upside down. 
because the yeah, druid believed that this should quench the dwarf's magic. And this worked because the albatross never returned. <laughs> the abortok, I think, is what it's called. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. like imagining it's just a druid, <laughs> a dwarf bird. Yeah. Anyway. Ah, oh, tookie tookie. Uh, I love you. Never change. Yeah. Tookie, tookie. <laughs> so, okay, so that was legend number one that inspired the legend of Dracula. Yeah. I mean, legend two is really the same thing. You, you know, but you got, you get a, like a cooler hero name than I got. I got fucking. Ookmel Cumstain and you know I'll let you <laughs> Terry Cumpale, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Legend number two, the modern day vampire. There's another version of the legend that's much more closely linked to the modern day vampire. In this version of the tale, the Aubertok is killed and buried. However, when it escapes its grave, it does so to find fresh blood to drink. In this version, the chieftain goes by the name of Cathane, and he consults a Christian saint instead of a druid because Christianity. Yeah. The story goes that Saint the story goes that the saint told Cathane that the only way to kill the vampire is to find a sword made of your wood. The saint advised Cathane that once the Arbatark now I'm gonna pronounce it wrong. Albatross. <laughs> the Arbatark was killed. <laughs> He would need to bury him upside down so that he would need to find a great stone to thus lock it in for good. So, yeah, put him upside down and then put a big-ass stone right on his butt. Mm -hmm. Cathane said to have killed the Arbatok with ease. After burying it nearby, he then had to lift the great stone and place it over the newly dug grave. That's also kind of symbolism for, you know, burying Jesus and rolling a big stone in front of him. Yeah. Like I said, Christianity. Legend number three, demanding a bowl of blood. In 1958, it has been frequently claimed that the vampiric antagonist of Bram Stoker's Dracula was extensively based on the person of Vlad III, also known as Vlad Tepes the Impaler. And after his favored method of punishment and execution, this theory was the central theme of Radu Florsku, who I probably butchered, and Raymond McNally's best-selling 1972 book, In Search of Dracula, which I might have, actually. No, I don't. No, it won't, won't. And the notion that Vlad III and Count Dracula are one in the same, which has been solidified in a number of cinematic adaptions of the novel. Well, in 1998, Professor Elizabeth Miller pushed up her nerd glasses and published an essay in her book, Dracula, The Shade and the Shadow, which challenged the notion. And this essay pointed out that Stoker's research notes for Dracula do not indicate that he had detailed biographical knowledge of Vlad III. She explains that Stoker copied and pasted some of the information from Willem Wilkinson's An Account of Principalities of Wallachia and Moldavia, regarding Vlad's campaign against the Turks and his treasonous brother Radu III, incorrectly named by Wilkinson as Vladus. But there's no actual current evidence that Stoker had information regarding Vlad's reputation for cruelty and his use of impalement as a punishment or even his full name. An alternative inspiration for Stoker's story was put forward by Bob Curran, a lecturer in Celtic history and folklore at the University of Ulster in Coleran. 
in the summer of 2000 edition of History of Ireland, a peer-reviewed journal edited by historians suggested that Stoker may have derived his inspiration from the legend of the Arbatok. Curran is also the author of Vampires, a field guide to the creatures that stalk the night from 2005, which recounts a more detailed version of the legend than that that was collected by Weston. So with that mouthful that Sean just delivered, the final legend God. is one that was told to many by a man named Bob Curran. According to Curran, the real Castle Dracula can be found between the towns of Garva and Dungiven, which is a where a small hill now stands. He says that this is that it was here that the fortress of a 5th or 6th century chieftain with magical powers called the Arbitoc once resided. Curran's story goes that the Arbitoc was a great tyrant and that people living near him wanted him gone. They were scared of his magical power, so they coaxed another chieftain to kill him. The chieftain succeeded in killing and burying the Arbitoc, but he escaped his grave and demanded a bowl of blood from the local villagers. He was killed for the second time, but returned again. It wasn't until the chieftain was advised by a druid to use a sword made of yew wood that the Arbitoc finally was conquered. And I found this interview that a, uh, another author, Julius Stewart, did with Curran. And so Sean and I are going to reenact it because we get a little bit more detail that I think is really relevant uh, uh, because the, uh, the, the grave of the Arbitoc is real and you can go to it. So let's take it Ooh, away. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. Despite his enthusiasm at finding the castle of Dracula, Curran is keeping a safe distance. I wouldn't go any nearer. I had a bad experience over there last year. He is pointing behind him to the field where the Arbitoc is said to be buried. One evening after returning home from taking a group of students on a visit to the gravesite, Curran suddenly found himself flying down the stairs and was rushed to the hospital. For two seconds on the operating table, my heart stopped. I genuinely think there were some places that you just shouldn't go. Shirley, Bob, you just fell down the stairs. Well, my name's not Shirley, but I was up and down those stairs plenty of times. I'm an Irishman who just doesn't have an Irish accent, apparently. <laughs> I take these things seriously. Despite Curran's near-death experience, we... Oh, hold on. Despite Curran's near-death experience, we trope back down the path and head for Albertrock's grave. Aren't you supposed to be wearing a bag of containing a mixture of salt and human urine? Which, actually, that's the concoction any vampire aficionado knows and is sure the uh, fire way of coming out of a chance encounter with the walking dead with one's neck still intact. No, because... Oh, crikey, I left it out of my pocket. That means something will surely happen to me before the week's out. I normally carry with me a silver coin that has been through a church service. If I'm dead before the end of the week, I know who to blame. We arrive at the field of perfectly aligned stripes of green barley shoots. In the middle is the incongruous path of wilderness boasting a solitary hawthorn tree. When Albatroc was buried, it was said the thorns were scattered around his grave in a pile of stones. Those stones are said to be from the original scapular. Sep- Jeez, now I can't pronounce the word. <laughs> Sep- uh, sepulchre. Se- sepulchre. There we go. 
<laughs> oh man, this is what people pay for. Yeah. That is on your main stone there. He's underneath that. There was talk years ago that somebody tried to dig this place up because there... Imagine there'd be a treasure buried here and the person involved and their entire family died. And I'm not joking you either. There was also a time when the owner of the field, Eugene Mullen, whose name was the fucking easiest to pronounce in this entire episode, <laughs> and some workmen attempted to chop down the tree and clear away the stones. They came down with a new petrol drive saw. As soon as they came up to the tree saw, it stopped. They walked back down again and the saw stopped. And they had the saw checked and it worked perfectly. They came back up here and tried to lift the stone using a digger and a chain and that snapped. The guy who was working it cut his hand and blood fell to the earth and they said the vampire was drinking again. Mullen, 43, says that he has remained spooked ever since. Why, well, I knew about the grave, but I thought it was only fool's talk. But I'd never go back there again, never. And I'm not a superstitious person. I'm an Irishman with a Yankee accent. <laughs> Kern will no doubt add the experience of the independent photographers Crispin Rodwell uh, to his long list of weird ongoing uh, ongoings involving the grave. It was very, very strange. One of my two cameras refused to respond to anything when I was at the grave. It was new and had been working perfectly earlier that day. But when I got back to the car, it was working again. It was very odd. I'm the bi biggest cynic in the business, but I was astonished. Egads. Yeah. So look, there's a there's an there's an actual grave. I mean, I know like we got Vlad the Impeller's castle, and mm -hmm. weird weird shit happens there. But any other folklore surrounding a vampire, there's not like an actual like you know castle or a gravesite. But this fucker was actually buried, or somebody who they are like this fucking guy. He's a vampire, and they buried him under this rock in this town in Ireland. You can still go there, and if you try to fuck with a rock and try to move it, bad shit happens. Like I, I think we should go. I think we should invest in just. Dinging equipment, and let's wake the old fucker up and be like, hey, buddy, <laughs> long time no see. Yeah. And, you know, just for, uh, you know, safe practice, cut your fucking hand and bleed all over the soil and maybe wake him back up. Yeah. Hopefully he was buried face down ass up with a big stone on his butt. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Fright Night? Psh, I got this. Ooh, God, I love that movie. <laughs> I'm actually, uh, speaking of hobbies, reading Fright Night, the paperback novelization. There you go. There you go. Well, the episode itself is pretty short this time around, especially the main topic, but that should just wet your whistle because our buddy John got me a pretty awesome book called Vampires, Burial, and Death, as well as another book about Dracula. So I will vow to get those read at some point between now and God knows whenever. And we'll do some deeper dives into vampires because I've always been fascinated by the idea that, you know, we thought that Bram Stoker got all the ideas from, you know, Vlad the Impaler, which I think he got some of the... Bram Stoker was a dude, right? I just said he. Yes, they. Bram okay, Stoker sweet. was a dude. Br okay, Bram. <laughs> Anywho, so we thought he got all the ideas from, you know, the Impaler. But apparently it could have just been a cornucopia of all sorts of legend, which is, you know, really how you'd get a really good character um, from lots of rich folklore, not just one dude. Yeah, and, and actually, anyway. uh, 
Stoker is actually Irish and um, he grew up with these legends. And so uh, mm-hmm. when that first book came out in the, what do we say, 1840, whatever, mm-hmm. that was right around the time of when he was getting to actually write Dracula. And so, um, you know, information on Vlad the Impaler, there wasn't a lot. And so he really just kind of, like I said, copy and pasted some of the information. Like, eh, I don't really, you know, I'm just not, I'm not going to reward it. Listen, they're dumb. They're not going to know. And, you know, tip, <laughs> tip tapped it in and then based everything else off of the albatross. So, I mean, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. The vampiric crane bird. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> right, right. Oh, man. Well, folks, we really hope you enjoyed this uh, big announcement episode and everything we packed into it. Um, like I said before at the top, we are not going anywhere. We're just switching over to a different feed that will allow us to then thus continue and also give Mark the time and dedication they need to continue on their own projects. And I am very, very certain that Mark does not listen to the show, but I do want to definitely say from the bottom of our cold little morbid hearts, we greatly, greatly appreciate you, Mark, and all the hard work you've done and just the generosity of, you know, posting this show to a feed on your own website for the last six years. Um, I've said it before, I never thought we'd be doing it this long, let alone even doing it at all. So we got a big chance to grow even more. And, uh, I want to say, I really appreciate everybody reaching out all the kind words. Um, we've got some, um, episodes we might be doing with other podcasts, do some, you know, cross, um, advertising and, you know, crossover episodes. So that's gonna be pretty rad. But, um, the only other thing that I think we might ask of everybody is, the unfortunate part of moving over to a new feed is that we are going to unfortunately lose all the wonderful, kind-hearted reviews we had on Apple Podcasts and the ratings on Spotify and everything else. So I don't know if you made a comment or made a rating or a review and you're still listening, we might ask that, you know, if you have the time, maybe type up that review or drop us another one on the new feed you know with those reviews it helps boost our ratings it helps boost our numbers and get this podcast across to you know more listeners and uh, that would mean a lot to us but if not not a problem i'm going to do screenshots of all those so we have them archived because again those definitely meant a lot to us and still mean every bit and if you left us a negative review it's okay I mean, you could go back and say, you guys still suck. I'm not digging it. We'll take it. There you go, yeah. I mean, I'd like to say that of all the ratings we had on iTunes, uh, we only had one that was a one star. Everything else is a five. So I think yeah. we uh, thus have a 4.9 rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And also on Spotify, uh, we got 16 five-star reviews, and that means a lot. Um an awful lot, you know. So anyway, if you guys could, once we get things up and running, if you would be so kind as to, you know, rate and review us, that'd be thrilling. Uh, we'll read the reviews on the future episodes. Also, um, we'd like to invite you to please send us your personal listener stories. We want to hear the weird shit that happened to you. So if you could, send us your personal story to pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Or we also have... A Google Voice number. 
you can leave an actual recording. I think you get two, maybe three minutes before it cuts you off. So, I mean, you can make it fairly short or you can call us several times and then I can splice it together into one continuous story. And we could play that on our listener story episodes. You can give us a name, a first name, or you can stay anonymous. Just tell us before you get into your story and we'd love to share it. The voicemail is 913-662-3144. But any hoozle, uh, Facebook stays the same, the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. The Instagram stays the same, at PXL Paranormal. YouTube stays the same. Presto, anything new on the YouTube end? Got 201. 201 subscribers. Hell yeah. That is fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, what else you got, buddy? Well, look, folks, you never know when you're going to be buried and your mummified body's going to have a sickle around your neck, your big mm-hmm. toes padlocked. You're not looking too great, but you could at least have a rocking ass beard when you're dug up 2,000 years later. And one way mm-hmm. to accomplish that is to make sure that every day you slather that bad boy in Big Dobbs Beard Bomb. And so if you go over to Big Dobbs Beard Bomb, beardbomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your orders. You can, you know, get yourself some scents like Bay Rum, Dundee Cedar, Fresh, Citrus, Sweet Tobacco, Mint, Classic, and you won't have to, you know, be the albatross. You can be, you know, Cathane or, you know, Cockhill, Cockjaw, whatever that guy's name was. The hero of the story. Yeah. So do yourself a favor. Go over to Dobbs. Use the promo code. Get yourself some good smelling shit. Put it on your face and fucking rock that facial hair. There you go. And I don't have nearly the grandiose um, promotion for CD Trey Post and Bonnie and Seneca. But if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by, see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post, Pawnee and Seneca. I mean, maybe you're wondering how to protect myself against vampires. Well, you know, CD Trade Post might have some used copies of your favorite Dracula-esque film. So go down there and pick it up. There you go. Be prepared. Yeah, they normally do have a pretty. They normally have a pretty good selection of horror films there. So yeah. definitely check that. They out. might have a copy of, you know, Castlevania for the S. You know, NES. You know, Super Ooh. Super Castlevania. That's you Super know. Castlevania Four. Yeah. Yeah. I have actual. I have a cartridge in my uh, storage room. So there you go. Sweet action. All right. Well. On behalf of Big Steven, who will be joining us again, don't you worry. I'd like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.